0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I have a lot of problems. And the one around this time of year that I have is is how much I love the holidays. I love the holidays. My uh and I love them, I love them independent of any of their spiritual significance. So I, it's not like, I'm not, I don't wanna play it up like I love the baby and Advent and the whole thing. No, I just like the, the, uh, the festivities themselves. And I'm set apart from my peers because I, I love all the secular and commercial aspects of, of Christmas. You know, that's, and that, that makes me unique among my friends because they're usually protesting something like that and I'm like, <laughs> oh no, no, I kinda like this. You know that's why my t- my Twitter handle is John needs a little Christmas. Um, <laughs> see what I mean? Um, it's it's great. It's grand. It used to be. It, I, also, I'm taking uh, suggestions for better Twitter handles than a Christmas. <laughs> uh, but this is what what I have now. I had Holly Jolly John and Rashid for a day, but I, I didn't think it was good enough. So think about it. If you have, I'll, I'll, I'm taking requests. Um, anyway. I love it all. I love the carols, and I love, uh, I, which I start listening to on November 1st. B101 is, is November 15th, and I like to get it a little two weeks earlier, because for a whole sixth of the year, I can do Christmas music is how I see it, if I start it right after Halloween. Um, and I love the food and drinks. I like, I like aging eggnog. So in my fridge, I have like 2017, 18 vintages of heavy cream and eggs. Yeah, it's a little funky, but it's good. It's great, and it has so much booze in it, no pathogens could possibly survive. So totally safe, you know, so you just get the goodness, you know. Um, And I like Yule Logs, too. And I love, I like the parties and decorations. I like the Macy's Light Show. That's a Philadelphia tradition. I take my children to see it every year, and we crowd around. The altar of Macy's. You can see how wrong this is, right? But I still like it. You know, I'm. I'm the, you know, I'm, Jesus forgives me. Um, I like the Christmas village. I like the. I like the Glee Christmas stuff. Um, I really love it all. And I. And you know what? Here's the thing. I and here's the Macy's. We have a Um And and I suffer no cognitive dissonance or spiritual dissonance. Despite the excess and consumerism in general, bacchanalia and debauchery that fills the season. you know, I'm just like, okay, here we are. Here's what we're doing. And, but, but my enthusiasm um, is really about celebrating the longing for joy that so many people have. They're trying to find it. And I think they're not really succeeding, but they're getting somewhere, and they're expressing themselves in a unique way. But it obviously misses the mark. So as I drown myself in the Christmas spirit, I, I, I could miss Advent altogether. There's a cost to that, and I pay it by participating so festively. But if you push me, I will say this. I prefer godless merriment to Christians who kind of celebrate the birth of Jesus too soon. You know, on one hand, the godless merriment is relatively innocent, but I think Christians who kind of fast-forward us, you know, past the tinsel and garland, right to oh Holy Night. Or, right, Silent Night, the, the evening of Christmas Eve as we await the birth. If I start that in November, I'm doing something different. You know, before I digested the, Christmas, the Thanksgiving turkey, I'm already celebrating the, the birthed Savior. That seems flawed to me in a different way than all of this other stuff seems and so this year i want us to wait with intention i want us to expectantly wait for deliverance and actually feel the impact of the birth of jesus in the incarnation by feeling what we need it to fulfill so we're waiting for emmanuel together asking god with us to come if you're in a a a jewish person in captivity you don't need to get in touch with your own captivity because you live in it. We, because we're, uh, we don't live in explicit captivity that we can see <laughs> or experience, need to dig a little bit deeper. We wait with hope and joy because we know we will be delivered because we have been delivered. And yes, jumping too soon to Christmas Eve ruins the anticipation. It causes us to miss the point. So after Christmas, I want to keep it going a little bit. And I get it. I get it. I get, I, 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 you have people like me who start Christmas right after Halloween. And that can be – it's a little extra. It's exhausting. I know. And by the time Boxing Day comes around, that's December 26th, by the way. Yeah. It's in Canada. It's a Canadian holiday. Uh, anyone from Canada here? Well, they, they return all their gifts on Boxing Day. You're kind of from Canada. Pittsburgh is not Canada. I mean, <laughs> What's that? Oh, really? Huh. Today I learned. <laughs> so it's hard to keep celebrating the birth of Jesus after Christmas because we're so sick of Christmas by the time that actually happens. And we know why, of course, because the whole season is like a big advertisement for the holiday, right? They're trying to get you to buy stuff, right? They uh, they want you to keep shopping. And there's definitely spiritual uh, significance to the message that we're given. And we... And, and, and add to that, we really don't know how to wait. It's a very difficult thing to wait in the United States, especially when everything seems to be so instantaneously available and on-demand. You know how frustrating slow Wi-Fi is? Right, it's really hard to not have instant access to um, all the information in the world, right? You ever find yourself, you click harder, because you think, the problem is, it doesn't know I'm clicking, so I have to, you know. Hit it harder so that it works. Or do this? Yeah, that's a big boomer energy when you're doing that, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. Um, so it's hard for us to wait because everything's instant. And so, and I don't mean that to be critical, I just think we have to be sympathetic to the culture and to myself, you know. Because I, I really do think that despite it all, people are trying their best. And and I don't want to steal their attempt at joy for the sake of my holiness because, you know, you sang a holy night too soon. You know, so I I want to meet you where you are. But I also want to carve out some space for our long-expected Savior. Advent is about expectant waiting. It's about awaiting deliverance. It's about feeling our own captivity and then wanting and waiting to be liberated from it. And we do this with the assurance that God will be faithful and with the assurance that Jesus will deliver us since he has already in one way. We remember God's faithfulness by looking back at these stories, at the people to whom God has been faithful, the prophets and John the Baptist the following week, Mary and the shepherds. It's a whole drama that you wanna follow along with. We look at how they waited for deliverance and we wonder how we are now. Because even though Jesus has come to earth and lived and died and resurrected and we live in salvation, we still know the world around us feels alien to us and we, and we, we, we know that um, we can know what it was like to wait for Jesus for the first time. So we're, we're, what's more though, we're waiting for Jesus to return again. And I think that we don't talk about that too much because when we talk about Jesus returning, for some reasons Christians start to speculate about the various specifics, and so it can get a little strange. But ultimate deliverance will come, and we await that deliverance now with the presence of Jesus within us. Fleming Rutledge is an Episcopalian priest who says the Christian community lives in Advent all the time. It can well be called the time between, because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ incognito in the stable in Bethlehem and his second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. She says, Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and the not yet that our faith requires. We actually have to feel our lack and our depravity and what's missing. We have to dwell in darkness in order to see the light. We have to reflect on the captivity that we're in And that's hard to do because the message that we receive all the time is that we're free and free to consume our expectation and our anticipation away. Our appetites are so spoiled by the time the meal finally comes. Advent is about waiting, and we have to be very intentional about waiting during the season. Since, again, it's not something our society teaches us to do. Instant gratification, our appetites are almost um, gone but not satiated or filling them with things that don't ultimately satisfy. Even today, with the knowledge and presence of Jesus among us, we're in our own advent waiting for full deliverance. And we we know full deliverance is yet to come because of the horror around us that requires liberation. We know the work isn't done yet, even though it's begun. And we see the incompletion of deliverance all around us. And you can, you can fill it up with your personal trouble, but you can also fill it up with global trouble, too. We know that deliverance isn't here yet, and so we wait our deliverance, not unlike the people before us did. So we're learning to wait. We're learning how to wait. We're considering what comes up when we wait. And and even though our deliverance is assured, it isn't here yet. And Despite that assurance, despite that assurance, there's still a feeling of anxiety that we can experience because we're not sure, really, if it's going to come. One hand we are, and on the other hand we're not. We're like a child whose uh, mother always comes home, but we're waiting for mother to return, and we're not always sure if she is. Like, I pick up my kid every day, essentially, and if I'm a little bit late, she'll say, I thought you forgot about me, even though I've never forgotten about her. She has a feeling of uh, uncertainty that isn't really the result of an insecure attachment, it's just how we are. We don't know if it's gonna work out. Something could happen, what if something happened? God has been faithful this whole time, but what if, what if it's different this time? What if God forgot about us? And, and this isn't meant to be too dramatic of an image, But I have to admit, it's not easy. It's hard to believe that God will be a faithful parent when our parents may not have been. How we grew up affects how we relate to God now. So maybe the thing you reflect on today is how your upbringing, as you awaited your parents to become who you needed them to be, affects how you see God. Search your disappointment and search your satisfaction, and see if that doesn't lead you to concluding where you want God to fulfill you now. Maybe you don't know where that is, or how you'll be delivered. We don't have a ripe imagination for this, right? It's hard to know you're hungry in our engorged society. That's why it's helpful to look back at the stories. Look back at the people that did it before us and see what we can learn from them. The prophets of the Old Testament were some of the most expectant people in our story. They knew God's deliverance was coming because they related closely to God. They were very sure of God's faithfulness. They empathized with the pathos of God. They know what God was doing and what God was, uh, how God was acting. And then they acted as the judges that God would ultimately act as. So we're visiting them this week. The prophet I want to focus on today is Miriam, Moses' sister. She's the prophet that rejoices after the Israelites are delivered from their Egyptian slave masters. It's hard to read this story if you don't put yourself in the position of the enslaved and the oppressed. This, and, 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 and when your uh, sympathy rises for those who God conquers, try to put yourself in a different position you know it's hard for Americans to do that because uh, you live in such a powerful country and so any death that we cause is, a, is kind of a, a kind of conquest Think about the oppressed being free, as opposed to you being the oppressor. Does that make sense? You have to. So you're trying to empathize with someone in a different position that you may, may or may not be in. The story of Exodus, of deliverance, is one that echoes throughout Israel's history. It's an act of God's faithfulness that literally births a nation. And keep that image in mind. The people of Israel remember Exodus as the assurance of God's deliverance. They're delivered from Egyptian captivity by God, and God continues to demonstrate God's faithfulness throughout the time. And they remember this when they observe Passover, and we remember it as Christians when we observe communion. We remember God's faithfulness, and that allows us to anticipate and expect future deliverance. Because we know God will be faithful, we are now free to totally experience where God isn't in our despair. We don't have to avoid our pain. We can totally confront it because we know God will deliver us. That's a freeing opportunity for us. During Advent, we wait with assurance because we know God's love will endure. The lasting characteristic of God is that God's love endures and God will be faithful. And and so we can sing with the prophet Miriam, who celebrates with adulation her deliverance. We can sing along with her and we experience even more than she did because God demonstrated God's faithfulness throughout time, over the course of history, the history of Israel, and even ours. So we've been grafted onto the promise of God through Jesus. And yes, Miriam's song can be our song now. We're going to read 13 verses of it, and I'll need a handful of volunteers for this section, and then we're going to read another section of the Bible where I need more. So you'll have to keep it going, okay? You ready? Let's, let's to read these first three verses. And you might encounter something, uncomfortable images, as you praise God for killing people. Endure, en- endure the discomfort, if that's okay. I'm just going to, I'm asking you to do that. Someone I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed. The sea. <laughs> Horse and rider, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Someone else. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. He picked officers. His picked officers were sunk in the red sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O oh Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, shattered the enemy. <coughs> in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury, you consume them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the soil, my desire shall have it still of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, (laughs) majestic and holy, awesome and splendid, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode have a song that Dan was starting to sing there that's based on Miriam's song, and so we have a way to sing it right here that we've made together. This imagery is vivid and it's lasting, and it might be jarring for us. It impacts us now. Imagine having someone that oppresses you this much that you would sing this song. The Red Sea is the uh, birth canal of deliverance. It births a nation, and it births freedom for them. The Israelites wait for the impossible to be delivered from captivity and then the impossible happens. The Egyptians are drowned in the Red Sea that was parted to liberate the Israelites. We wait in the face of the impossible by remembering God's faithfulness. We remember. One of the most wonderful things about this song is that we think it's as old as the Exodus itself. The Torah the first five books of the Old Testament were was likely brought into its final. This is a technical point. Final composition during Babylonian captivity, and so that colors some of what is important in the in in, in those books. But this song would be appear would, would appear to have been sung a long time before then. There is a memory of liberation that echoes throughout Israel's history, and also. in in, in this song. They remember being liberated and they've been telling the story since they've existed. And it's this story that really gave them a national identity. And you can hear the echoes of this story in the song of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. We sometimes, we call this the Magnificat. This image, these images here are mirrored in Mary's song. Mary, who delivers, our deliverer? You know, through her birth canal, who who makes her maker, in this confusing, paradoxical circumstance. Mary bursts into song when she sings the Magnificat. She sings a very similar song to Miriam's song. Let's read these ten verses from Luke fifteen. And if you, if you don't, if, if unless you object for some reason, which I hope you don't, let's only have women read this. Tell me about that. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. You can see the same themes again. God is going to deliver us from the evil around us. He delivered us in the Exodus, and God will do that again now. The the, the deliverance Mary is remembering is is one that Miriam is experiencing, and Mary is tasting it herself. This deliverance is not reducible to personal experiences. You can see in their language, they're not just talking about their individual experiences, but you can't discount their personal experiences because something is happening within them. And literally within Mary, something is happening within Israel that's freeing them from their Egyptian slave masters, right? That's personal. But it doesn't stop at the individual level. It expands even more to their whole political circumstance. You know, I'm not... um, I'm not making these songs political, right? They have political ramifications. You can see it. It's very explicit. And it takes a lot of work to undo that. And people have put in the work to undo it, but it's as plain as anything. And not only is their political circumstance challenged, the, the, the whole world, there's a cosmic consequence to what's happening. And, and the personal deliverance that we feel, which we do feel, which you feel, and you will feel, right? That's how God God is going to free you from what you need to be freed from. It's also felt on bigger scales, too, because the the completion of God's deliverance is that big. It's happened, it's happening, and it'll continue to happen into its completion. So the prophets (coughs) wait for the impossible by remembering God's faithfulness, and they participate in bringing about God's faithfulness, too. They are faithful. And thus, they are birthing God in their own right. And we are doing the same right here. We actively wait, and we do our part in bringing about God's faithfulness. That's how you wait for the impossible. Not passively, but just as Miriam did. With courage, with faith, with trust, with power. You know, we sing these songs in our active waiting as our, part of our process. We, 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 we imagine what we lack, and how God will fulfill us and we participate in that fulfillment. We know that Jesus is incarnated at the end of this season, but we wait once again for him to return while we reveal God's glory right now as the body and as the church. And so the prophets are warning me, personally, don't go overboard. Don't fill yourself up with Christmas cheer. You might miss the waiting. You might miss the anticipation. You know, don't party so hard that you fall asleep on Christmas Eve before the baby is born. You know, don't spoil the season. Wait for it. Hold on to your longing and see where God will fulfill you. Let's pray, and then we'll do some talk back. Show yourself to us in our own longing, in our own lack. And may your return vividly fulfill. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.